Hi, my name is Jared Dudley, and you're listening to the Solar Panel, a Phoenix Sun show. My name is Tim Tompkins. You can find me on Twitter at Radio Tim NBA. Joining us for this episode, the intro of it, we only have, and I guess I shouldn't say only, but we do have Mr. Dave King, the managing editor. Yeah, thanks for the only. <laughs> right side of the sun. You can find him on Twitter at Dave King NBA. Uh, Greg Esposito will be joining us in theory on the full episode. All-Star voting. The first round of ballots is in, and Devin Booker did make the top 10. Rounding it off, it, uh, you have Curry up there with uh, 793,000 votes. Did he make top 10 overall, or did he make top 10 of wings in the West? Guards in the West. Guards in the yeah, West. Yeah, right. top, right. top 10 of guards in the West. Right. That's who he's competing against, though. Uh, Derek Rose, 698,000. James Harden, 541,000. I, I don't understand how Derek Rose is there. Uh, Russell Westbrook. Well, yeah, yeah, it's fan voting. Right now, it's only fan voting. Right. I'm still, yeah. still shocked. Um, Russell Westbrook, <laughs> 459,000. Clay Thompson, 247,000. Coming in sixth, Damian Lillard, who he deserves to be there, 200,000. DeMar DeRozan, seventh, 197,000. Lonzo Ball, 175,000. And Devin Booker coming in ninth with 111,000, beating out Chris Paul at number 10 with 101,000. It should be noted, though, that last year at the same time, Devin Booker had 91,562 votes. So we are seeing a 20,000 vote improvement. 20%. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Boom. Yeah, you know, it's, it's look, uh, fan voting, especially the way they can vote now on social media, you don't even have to watch teams. You only have to just uh, be somewhere, social, Instagram, whatever it is, and do those votes. I mean, you look at these leaders, and they're basically the guys who've been on playoff games on television for years, and Devin Booker is not. Or it's the L.A. Laker, it's the L.A. market. That's why Alonzo Ball goes ahead of Devin Booker. Um, so I just think it's uh, I think it's overall it's it's literally it's the fan vote. So at this point, the fan vote counts fifty percent toward the uh, total who can be picked for the All Star game. Then there the other fifty is media and players, and then the captains pick who they want to actually play from among the from those top guys. So, um, like for example, Luka Doncic. I know I don't like bringing up Luka Doncic. I wasn't going to bring him up. I was not going to bring him up. because I hear him anyway, because Tim always brings him up. The I wasn't going to do it. Phoenix Suns always bring him up, so I'll just go ahead and do it. Luka Doncic already has almost eight, almost 700,000 votes, because that's international. And and he's got a lot of fans. I mean, come on. The NBA last night shared a simple three-pointer that they called his step-back three-pointer early in a, in a game in which Dallas was down 20 at the time. And it really wasn't even one of his little famous three-foot jump-back step-back step threes. It was just a simple – he was moving to his left and he launched it and they called it a step-back. So they know who is following Luka Doncic partially because of how beautiful he is, which the Suns are getting a little bit of a boost with Kelly Oubre now on the team. Um who I've, I've taken to affectionately calling the Kingslayer because he only has one hand. Uh, he only plays on his left hand. He has no ability to use that right. So um, for Game of Thrones fans, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but anyway, Luka Doncic is beautiful on some levels. Uh, Luka Doncic is also a fun-looking NBA player and has international following. So, yeah, so he's going to be one of the leading vote-getters. Um 
for the All-Star game. But even his own teammate, Dirk Nowitzki, says, well, I don't think I'd rank him ahead of Kevin Durant and all those other guys, but he certainly is really fun to watch, and he's got a great future and blah, 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 blah. Um, but the fact that Kyle Kuzma has almost twice as many votes as as Devin Booker does, t- Kyle Kuzma being uh, obviously an L.A. Laker, that's because of market. And you're, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get playoff stars, you're going to get world champions, and you're going to get market share. So what, what my takeaway was from this, though, is Devin Booker is the only player that is in that top 10 that is not on a playoff team. And not only is he not on a playoff team, he is on the worst team in the West. So it actually bodes and pretty well. And that's partially because he's beautiful. So, you know, fans do like looking at Devin Booker on their, on their little social feeds, <laughs> too. So this is uh, part of this is a beauty contest. My fiance thinks he's hot. Yeah. And I can't even get mad because I'm like, well, at least she likes Devin Booker. Right. Exactly. And no, no, even even my ex, she uh, she thought Devin Booker was at least somebody she'd like to watch if I was if I had a son's game on. So (laughs) that was that was the extent of her basketball fandom. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, so I don't know. Uh, I don't think that the son's social media has done a great job of promoting Devin Booker for the all star game yet. Uh, you know, maybe I could have missed a couple of posts, but I don't think that they've done a great job advocating for their guy. One thing I, I do want to point out, and I'm not even sure if you saw this day because you might have been at the game the other night, but the Phoenix Suns going hard um, with their in-game interviews for the arena renovations, and it comes across as a bit tacky. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen any of that. I really haven't because being at the games, you know, obviously I don't see the TV feed, but uh, with that, there's there hasn't been any of that shared. So tell me more about this. Uh, Lindsey Smith interviewing uh, different people talking about the arena renovations, why it's important for the city. You've obviously seen the posts that the Suns have done on their their Instagram feeds and different things talking about the arena renovations. And I understand their their point in advocating for it, but there was just there was a point in which Lindsey Smith was interviewing, and I don't know who you know the guy's name, talking about the need for arena renovations, and the Suns were down twenty. And it was, yeah, it was just like, well, <clears throat> I get it. But you know, obviously, obviously, these uh, these these pieces are produced and planned and scheduled and all that way before the game starts. And right. And you don't change your your production schedule based on the current game score. I get that. But I know what you're saying. Uh, this is the worst team in the NBA, but it's not it's not a popularity contest. The, t- the best teams in the NBA don't get the most renovation money. I mean, the the reality is, and I know I got made fun of a little bit on um, social by one of my one of my friends for for being a spokesman, and I really hate that because I am not a son spokesman, as you guys should probably have been able to figure out by now. Um, but I mean, arena renovations are just part of the deal. The city owns the arena. The city has to keep the arena up. Um, that is part of the deal. And they haven't been doing that. And they've been redirecting the money towards other necessary things. Absolutely. I totally get it. When you have a tight budget, you have to spend your money where you best can. And sometimes it doesn't go where it was originally supposed to. But there's money that was supposed to go to the arena and hasn't yet. And um, and when the city owns the arena, then you, you do need to eventually get that stuff worked out. Yeah. Uh, so Brightside Night is coming up this week. It's something... You put together, Dave, something we've advocated for on the show. So what's up? All right. So um, the first year we did this, four years ago, we had uh, we had a great idea. 
that we really ought to uh, build a new Suns fan base. And I wanted to focus on kids who don't get a chance to go to games. So it's undeserving or underprivileged, very deserving kids. It's undeserving. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. All right. Uh, Don't edit this out, but I'm going to just pretend that we edited that out and we're going to go three, two, one. Okay. Brightside night. We conceived of this four years ago. <clears throat> I have a lot of, of folks who follow us on on the website and on Twitter and all that and um, really love just the franchise of the Phoenix Suns and really want there to be a new uh, a, a new fan base every generation. So we decided to focus on underprivileged, very deserving kids to be able to go see their first NBA game. I know my kids, when they first went to their uh, their first NBA game, just absolutely loved it. One of my daughter's boyfriends went to his first last week, and he's he's not under, underprivileged in any way, but it's a really, really fun experience to go. So I thought, why not have my own readers, my own followers, actually donate tickets to have kids go to games because most of our followers are out of state, and other ones are just too busy with their lives to be able to go to games anyway. Uh, so Four years ago, we we uh, got enough donations to send 800 kids to a game, and I thought that was incredible. I thought that was really awesome. The year after that, it got up to 1,200. Last year, it was 2,100. We almost blew. We almost we exceeded the first two years together. That was incredible. This year, how many tickets do you think it is, uh, uh, Tim? Uh, first of all, don't insult me by calling me Greg. Uh, second off, I will guess uh, 2,700. We're 3,300 kids who are going to go to the game next Tuesday night, and it's really set up first class. I hope it all works out the way it's supposed to. Um, we've got game ops um, dialed into this as well. The, there, there's going to be spotlights on the kids' sections where the kids are sitting. There's going to be an in-game call-out uh, before the game. Any kid who shows up at 5 p.m. is going to be able to go down uh, near courtside and get and watch the players warm up on both ends of the court. So both teams will be uh, doing shoot-around and stuff like that right before the game. Uh, And um, then after the game, um, any of the kids or whatever, up to 100 people are allowed to stay after the game and shoot around on the Suns court and actually do their own shoot-around. So it's going to be really, really exciting. It's going to be fun. During the game also, kids will be able to take pictures with Suns Suns dancers um, at the uh, Gorilla Room or whatever that thing is called on the fourth level. So it's going to be really fun for those kids. And then the big donors, the biggest donors are invited to have a private exclusive interview with James Jones where you get to ask a Q&A. We've got all those folks lined up. We're going to have 45 or so of our best, um, our, our biggest donors for this that are going to be going and sitting in a room in the Mercury locker room talking to James Jones uh, and uh, asking him the questions you all want to ask. It's, it's really incredible. It's going to be fun. And then, of course, you get to go to the game yourself. Uh, and, and it's against the Sacramento Kings. Hopefully, the uh, Suns will actually break their win, break their losing streak and get a win against the Kings. That would be pretty nice on Brightside Night. So, are you going to be able to get the Suns to do a shout out to the Suns Solar Panel podcast? No, because the Solar Panel didn't sponsor this or didn't push this as much as Brightside did. Brightside is but, the home. But, but, let me just say. You being the managing editor of Bright Side of the Sun, you being on the Sun Solar Panel podcast, <laughs> it seems like an easy connection could be made for one shout out during the game. Bright Side, 
and the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. Or thank you to Brightside. Also listen to the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. I mean, there's got to be a way to do this, right? Uh, I'll, I'll work on it. Okay. Well, thank you so much to everybody that donated. I think that is truly, truly And I'll awesome. say that because I don't really get uh, control over what the script is for the in-game, the game ops thing. Um, our son's rep is actually working on that script. And uh, the the whole source of this has been over the four years, Bright Side of the Sun. But um, I'll, I'll talk to him about throwing in a solar panel mention. Or maybe he can just put it in um, in the program. Oh, wait, the sun's cut out the programs. They don't give those to people anymore. All right. Uh, budgetary reasons so <laughs> this the stretch of the the suns you know the last time we podcasted i think that the suns were like six and ten or something over there over the last 10 and everyone was feeling really good and then we came to this latest stretch of games uh i want to give evan sideria over at Brightside credit for this he tweeted out over the past 11 game the sun 11 games the suns are allowing opponents to average a league worst 35.2 points while shooting 59.1 percent in the first quarter the first quarters first halves of games have been absolutely atrocious over the span Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's been it's been really tough to watch. Uh, the The first halves of games have just I mean, you just everyone's just trying to kill spirit, and the Suns themselves are just out there. I don't know what they're thinking about uh, uh, their their focus at the beginning of games, but it's it's really been lacking. Other teams now. Let's be fair a little bit. Let's be fair. These are the top four seeds in the West, plus one of the top seeds in the East that the Suns have played over these five games at home. Those teams did know that every one of them before the game started knew that the Suns have been playing better lately. They're totally different than when they may have played them earlier in the year. They're young. They're playing with energy. And so um, while for the last few years the Suns have been seen as as you know an easy mark, each of the coaches coming in before these last five games has said the same thing, that they're expecting better from the Suns because the Suns have been playing better. So – that means their team is playing, going to play harder to kick off the game. And the Suns at the same time have decided that they don't know what the heck they're doing again. So I, I, don't, I don't know what's causing this these first quarter um, uh, sleepwalking sessions that we've been seeing. You can blame the coach. I know uh, a lot of kids or a lot of fans want to blame the coach, and I can totally see why you'd want to do that because the coach's job is to rev up his team. You see all these movies, and you see, um, you know, high school. A lot of us have been involved in high school sports and things like that. And your coach is your rah rah cheerleader who's going to get on your ass and he's going to yell and he's going to fight and he's going to argue and all this and he's going to he's going to cajole you into into something uh, completely spirited. When you when you get out on the court, you know, you see that's that's what you're expecting. And uh, most NBA coaches are not like that. Almost very few NBA coaches are actually like that because they expect their multimillionaire players to get themselves ready for a game because this is the elite of the world of, of athletes. So um, you can blame the coach for not revving up the players. You can blame the, blame the players for not revving themselves up. You can blame the player development staff. You can blame the assistants. You can blame the organization. You can blame the the state of the locker room. You can you can blame anything you want, and you'd be partially right in any of those. Uh, for some reason, this team, these young guys, don't know how to get themselves up to have more energy at the beginning of a game than their opponent. And they really need to because when you're all young, you've got to have more energy. You, you can't. 
You can't not play with energy. You can get outshot. You can get outplayed. You can get you can you can play a team that's better than you and lose. But you cannot come with less energy than the other team. It's just not it just doesn't make any sense to me or as a group of young guys who know that they're the underdog that they don't come out trying to outwork the other team and out out hustle the other team. Every ball, every loose ball was grabbed by the Clippers last night. There were there were even open rebound opportunities where four sons were staring at the balls that bounced on the ground in between them because everyone thought somebody else was going to go and get that ball. And when the Suns actually had a big run in the third quarter um, uh, for the third time in a week, now they got down, they got doubled up by the by the Nuggets a week ago. Uh, in the first half. And then they came back and had a huge run in the third quarter. Then they got almost doubled up by the Sixers in the first half on Wednesday night. They had a huge run in the second half. And then Friday night, they got doubled up by the freaking uh, Clippers. And again, they had a huge second half run. And what sparked that second half run? Steals and active hands and hustle and beating the Clippers to the loose balls and all that. So you've, well, I don't know why in that same unit was out there in the first half on Friday night and got trucked. That same freaking, um, you know, everyone says, oh, well, why isn't Igor going to the bench faster? Well, he did go to the bench really fast in the first quarter on Friday night, and the bench sucked it up too. They got run over by the Clippers' second unit. Patrick Beverly was all over the place. Montrez Harrell was all over the place. Their starters, their bench, everything on the Clippers was was firing on all cylinders in the first half, and the Suns were not all. Uh, he went twelve. Igor went twelve guys deep in that first half, and none of them <laughs> came with energy except maybe Devin Booker. Um, and then in the second half, finally the guys started playing harder. And basically, when they start playing reckless, is when they when they're good. So I don't know what the answers are. I just know that the Suns are getting consistently consistent proof that if they hustle their butts off. They can they can outscore the other team, but if they don't hustle their butts off, they cannot win on talent alone. Well, I mean, to your point, when it comes to Suns, stare five guys staring at the rebound, but no one getting it. Uh, they also aren't running back in transition, so not only are they not grabbing the board, and there's a clear deficiency in rebounding with this team, but they also aren't getting back in transition. Uh, yeah, there was one play. Let me let me uh, go through it. Double uh, Devin Booker was getting double teamed aggressively. That means two defenders on Friday night were um, were getting picking up Devin Booker at the half court and staying with him. Well, what does that really mean? What that means is the Suns have four other players with three defenders against them, and one of their one of the players was not being defended by anybody because that defender was on Devin Booker. Booker was getting trapped at mid court by those guys. Um, and and the Clippers have only the 22nd ranked defense in in the in the on the season, and or even over the last couple of weeks they were 23rd ranked. They don't have a great defense, but they decided if we if we cut off the head of the snake, which is Devin Booker, nobody else is going to beat us. And the Suns proved them right um, on on Friday night. Anyway, there was one play where Devin Booker got trapped at midcourt, and he picked up his dribble because um, Patrick Beverly and Montrez Harrell were right there getting their hands in there. So he picked up his dribbling had nowhere to go and he got the ball stripped without a foul. Somehow they they hit only the ball with all their you know with all their all their motion, even though the picture I used on the um recap showed a lot of contact. But no no foul. Devin Booker got stripped. Both Clippers ran down to finish on the transition, and Devin Booker was the only Phoenix Sun who actually ran past midcourt to try to defend the transition um, uh, scoring attempt by the Clippers. 
and even forced Montrez Harrell into a little bit of a of a miss. Not a single son was there to try to grab that loose ball rebound on that transition. So Patrick Beverly just easily got that and 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 finished it. So yeah, there is a huge lack of hustle on these sons um, for most of every game. Right. So their uh, transition defense uh, per 100 possessions, they are allowing 113.8 points. Yeah. Per 100 possessions uh, puts them at 28th in the league. Uh, last year, although they did rank worse in the league, they were allowing 112.9, so their transition defense has been atrocious. So we are coming up on uh, the new year, and so we have New Year's resolutions for um, the uh, nine-man rotation of the Suns as well as the coaching staff and of course, James Jones. But before we get to that, if you are a fan of this podcast, if you feel like you do get a lot from listening to it, we appreciate you. And would you be willing to buy us a cup of shitty gas station coffee once a month? Uh, we'd like to thank our very first supporter, Clement Denukes. And if I mispronounce your name, Clement, I apologize, but take that as a badge of honor. Open the show notes right now in your podcasting app or if you are watching on YouTube. And there's a link below where it says, Become a supporter of the podcast. It's seriously the easiest thing to do. You can support the podcast for a dollar a month. Uh, that's where we got the, the the shitty cup of gas station coffee from. Uh, you, there's a five dollar option and ten dollar option. If you do decide to do the five dollar or the ten dollar option, um, I will personally send you some sun swag. But honestly, even a dollar goes a long way. So if you want to support the podcast, open up the podcasting app, click on the show notes or on YouTube below, and you're going to see the become a supporter button. Just click that. That and it's the easiest thing to do. And if you do it, we really do appreciate you. And thank you so much to our very first supporter, Clement, for uh, supporting the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. So 2018 was a hell of a year for the Suns, for me personally. Uh, I am so, so glad it's over. I, I Actually, before we get into the Suns talk, Dave, I want to ask you because I was listening to the Driving Dish podcast. I uh, used to be on it for you know 400 plus episodes, but they were talking about New Year's and they were saying I, that they can't tell if they're washed anymore or if people just don't go out and celebrate New Year's like they used to. And I know for myself personally, obviously New Year's fell on a Monday this year. Uh, I was at home. I was asleep by 11:45. I don't know. <laughs> Am I just washed, or do people um, not celebrate New Year's like they used to? I don't know. My kids went out and celebrated New Year's, so uh, they were all of age now, and uh, I, I took one of them and their boyfriend to the Suns game because the Suns played on New Year's. They got uh, run over by the Golden State Warriors, but they they did play an NBA basketball game where they were bouncing the ball up and down, so right. uh, we, we went and watched that, and then after that, I dropped them off to join their sisters uh, at a downtown block party in Phoenix, so uh, there, there are a lot of kids, a lot of people who still go out. However, the it was about 40 degrees. It was a little misty, uh, wet, and so they did not have a great time, but they still did it. So some people still celebrate New Year's. Now, me, myself, 
I'm lucky if I stay up till midnight. Um, sometimes I, I tell myself it's okay just to celebrate the East Coast midnight because it's really wonderful uh, for people on the West Coast because you can actually see a live ball drop at 10 p.m. and then get yourself to bed at a reasonable time. So that's basically what I did uh, on Monday night after dropping my kids off to to do that block party. They did invite me to go to the block party with them, but I'm like, mm, I'd rather not be the only person twice the age of everybody else out there. So yeah, I was watching the ball drop or almost the ball drop. I was watching the, the New Year's Eve show from Times Square. And I've always thought to myself, man, I really want to make it out there one year for New Year's. And every year I watch it, I'm like, that looks awful. It's cold. It's It was raining. especially bad this year <laughs> from what I heard. Um, I heard definitely it was really, really It was cold and rainy and you're not allowed to bring um, uh, umbrellas or, or anything like uh, anything that would protect you from the elements because – uh, that's just part of the rules in getting into the block parties, uh, security uh, downtown reasons, I'm sure. security reasons. Yeah. So it was, uh, miserable from what I heard on, on this year. And how, on do, you, how do you but go the, to the bathroom? Watch it. I, you're not, Oh, that's another thing. There's, uh, uh you have to wear a diaper cause there are no porta potties <laughs> and like, you can't drink. <laughs> like, it just... yeah, you can if you wear a diaper right that's the thing you gotta you gotta go buy some depends and hope you and hope you don't overflow it yeah so i just can't bring myself to actually letting go in public i don't know if i could even i mean i guess i would i would figure it out but that would be very very uncomfortable to walk around in a diaper on uh in times square uh, yeah and also it'd be and that cool. kind of ruins those those public intimate moments too doesn't it if both of you were in diapers yeah <laughs> So, you know, it's uh, talking about the Suns, though, <clears throat> you know, hell of a season, 2019, we're around the corner, and we came up with some New Year's resolutions for the nine-man rotation of the Phoenix Suns, because I don't want to go through every single player. Uh, so we're going to start this off with Devin oh, Booker. Sure. My New Year's resolution for Devin Booker is his three-point shooting slump this season. He is shooting 32% on seven attempts per game. Last season, he was shooting 38%. Uh, this year is actually his worst three-point shooting season of his career. We have seen improvements from three-point percentage every single year that he's been in the league. Obviously, the defenses have honed in on him. You could probably say the same thing last year, though. But for Devin Booker, it's really to get that three-point shooting up because sometimes he's just straight up missing open threes. Also, I do want to correct something, actually, real quick before I let you go, Dave. Is On the last episode, I threw out an incorrect Devin Booker set, and I didn't realize it until after I had already posted the, the episode. I said that Devin Booker had not taken a single corner three all season. That's not true. As of the last time I checked, he had taken nine all season, which is still a really small amount and strange, yeah. uh, but it was not zero. It was nine. That was my mistake. Yeah, I kind of figured that had to be such a crazy anomaly that um, there's probably some hidden numbers in there. But but anyway, okay, so my uh, New Year's resolution for Devin Booker is to become a more effective leader. Uh, this year, he is growing. He is uh, accepting responsibility for being the the best player on the team uh he's certainly um playing very well uh, despite his his dip in production at the behind the three-point line because most of those are pull-ups and it's much more difficult across the board for any player to make as many uh pull-up threes as they do off the dribble threes as they do catch and shoot so it's it uh, that's a that's a function of of the kind of offense that devin booker is playing in right now as point book uh, for the most part, but my resolution for Devin Booker is to become a better, more effective leader. 
in getting his guys to um, to to play better around him. And right now he's going through the um, he's trying to coach them on the floor, but sometimes the coaching comes off as as uh, putting them down, which a lot of the league's best players have done. Kobe was not good at um, uh, or not um, a positive reinforcement guy. Neither was Michael Jordan. Neither were some of the best players in the NBA history. But uh, Devin Booker has to figure out a better way to make his guys more competitive out there when he's out there. DeAndre Ayton. This one's easy for me. It is to stop being so goddamn passive. Right now, DeAndre Ayton's usage rate is 19.5%, which is far too low, in my opinion, for somebody of his skill set. The other night when the Suns were playing the, the Clippers, it was evident, I think, in the first half he only had one shot three rebounds uh it's obviously difficult for him because he's not out there playing with a point guard but then you see Rashawn Holmes go out there he's not getting the ball passed to him but he's able to take shots uh staying aggressive on the glass defensively being really aggressive and it's just DeAndre Ayton for as talented and as skilled as he is to show it well, absolutely. I think that's that's the most obvious resolution for a DeAndre Ayton. I think um, mine would be just a slight variation on that is to, is to put more consistent effort in there on defending the rim. So where the Suns are effective defensively is getting in passing lanes and getting steals. They um, have two or three of the top five um, deflections leaders in the NBA um, among their wings and uh, between Melton and Oubre and Josh Jackson and Mikel Bridges, they're really good on that end. Um, they're not great defending the three-point line for some reason, and they're not great, uh, obviously, they're they're terrible defending the rim. Some of that defending of the rim problem is the fact that the Suns are playing an undersized power forward who, who just can't um, uh, hold up when there's rotations and switches and all that um, at defending the rim because there's no there's no rim coverage there. And But a lot of that is DeAndre Ayton, so... Uh, my resolution for DeAndre Ayton is to become a much more aware rim protector and defender um, uh, in the in the restricted area. He's going to get his touches if he's engaged, as as Tim says, um, if he's engaged aggressively. He's going to get his touches. He'll get his his normal rebounds because he's he's generally um, the biggest guy out there, if not the second biggest, because uh, um, the other team has a bigger guy. Um, so he'll he'll get all of those, but he's got to focus on his rim defense. He's got to focus on his rim defense. Thankfully, to his credit, right now his block percentage is one point six percent, which is better than it was to start the season, and that puts him in the fifty fifth percentile among bigs. For TJ Warren, uh, mine is to defend without fouling, especially early in the games. And to your point, Dave, he's an undersized power forward, though the league is is moving in a smaller direction. But that being said, especially with TJ Warren, I think that when he starts to get into foul trouble early in games, that it just throws off his rhythm um, through the entire game. And he is too important on the offensive end to have these duds of games. Yeah, you know, I don't, I'm not going to put any of this on TJ, the Suns' slow start to last a uh, week or so, because TJ uh, does put out effort all the time. However, um, it is pretty consistent that that TJ is getting most of his points in the second half over the past week and a half. And like you said, Tim, I think some of it is that he's getting into early foul trouble uh, in the first half and it's, he's letting it get to him mentally. He's letting it get to his into into his head. He's had some uh, technicals called against him this year and. Uh, 
Um, he's been in, in, in ref's ears yelling at, yelling about a foul call against him. Um, he's trying. He's trying. He's not a great defender. He's not the quickest. He doesn't know how to keep his hands off the off the other players' bodies when he's going for the ball. He does get steals. He got four steals on Friday night, but he also had um, several fouls as well that 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 he incurred and that got him out of the game. So that's a good resolution. My resolution for T.J. Warren is when he does get in foul trouble, don't let it get let it get in his head so much because he does take himself out of the game when he's frustrated about calls. Yeah, yeah, it's really noticeable. His defense has definitely been better this year. Uh, and I mean, personally, I appreciate seeing that from him. Uh, you know, his passing mm-hmm. still isn't great. Uh, he's a more willing passer, though. He's turning the ball over. He is the, I just don't understand how he has so little attention across the NBA. I, I, I mean, I get it because of the market size. I get it because the Suns are the worst team in the league. But um, T.J. Warren is a really good player for someone who gets zero credit across the league. So I, I'm really curious how other uh, teams front offices see TJ Warren. Yeah. Especially now that he's added the three pointer uh, for Mikhail Bridges. My new year's resolution for Mikhail Bridges is to work on your corner three. I, the, the timeline podcast, we did this out and uh, they were talking about Mikhail Bridges recent uh, shooting slump from three saying, are you worried about him?" And my quote tweeted that and said, not even remotely. I am so high on Mikhail Bridges as a young prospect. I'm higher on him than uh, Josh Jackson, than on Kelly Oubre, than virtually anybody else on the team, not named DeAndre Jordan or Devin DeAndre, Bo- Aiden. DeAndre Aiden, excuse me, or uh, Devin Booker. I love his game. Uh, that being said, his corner three point percentage is 35%, putting him in the 42nd percentile. And I think for a player like him, uh, the the style he plays that he really needs to work on that corner three point percentage. Yeah, you know, I um, I've got a working theory, and I, I know I'm not the only one who thinks along these lines, but I've got a working theory that that Mikel Bridges' biggest problem is when he does a slow wind-up on his three to try to make an open one. And corner threes are most likely to be open without a defender in their face, whereas wing threes, which he's much better at shooting, and defended threes, which he's much better at shooting, require him to have a quick release, and that's what he made his name uh, for at Villanova. Um, but corner threes, and anytime he's he's completely wide open, he takes a long wind-up to try to just totally make that shot and he's, he's missing them all so what my resolution for Mikel Bridges is is to do your quick release three every single time follow Troy Daniels lead and have the same exact release every single same exact motion same exact speed of delivery of release um, on every three whether you're open or defended and that's so that's my resolution for Mikel Bridges is to totally focus because I agree I agree that he is the third best um, highest ceiling prospect on, on the team. He's one of their per- best perimeter defenders right now. He should be in the game 40 minutes, uh, but he's he's picking up a little bit uh, too many fouls. Every single game, he seems like he's, he's getting also like guarding, four, five, six fouls. He's also range. usually guarding the, the other team's best player. I mean, anywhere from, from the point guard to... Um, you know, the, the power forward, small forward. No, so absolutely. And I, and that's why I love Mikhail Bridges because he's willing to do all those things. But as a rookie, he's still getting uh veteran into, into committing some fouls that he shouldn't commit. And so uh, by early fourth quarter, like uh, Friday night, he had four fouls when he was taken out of the game as the Suns were going on that run and got it down to 11. And Mikel Bridges was overall the best player on the floor 
although Josh Jackson was playing pretty well and a couple of other guys were playing pretty well. Um, it was Mikel who who had to come out for a little while, and then I think Igor forgot about him or something. I don't know, but he, he kept him out way too long. And yet, somehow, Mikel Bridges still made, him, made himself foul out of the game because he committed a couple fouls when he finally did get back in. Um, so that's his only issue on defense right now. But a guy who who has the motion, has the pedigree to make 40% of his threes and defend one through four on the floor, I think is is incredibly valuable. And the Suns have a really, really good one for the future. Yeah, and to your point on Troy Daniels, he is averaging 1.25 points per possession, uh, putting him in the 96th percentile. So I do think that Mikhail Bridges could probably take some shooting lessons from Troy Daniels. Well, uh, it's just it's just doing the same motion every single time and not changing it whether you're open or defended. And and <laughs> that's easier said than done. It's a great thing to work on though. It's it's hard to do. That's really hard well, to do. Well, your brain tells you right. slow down, don't miss this open shot. No one's on me and everyone's gonna notice if I miss, you mm-hmm. know? And so your brain plays tricks on you. And if you take that extra one, two seconds on the on the release or even have a second on the release, you're suddenly, you're not using the same motion. You've got to use that same motion. There are guys that shoot better when you're closing out on them uh, than if they're wide open. It's always blown my mind. Mm -hmm. And that's because of his release point and and all that. So um, anyway, I'm going to keep watching for that and I hope he fixes it. D'Anthony Melton. And I I do want to say that I think D'Anthony Melton uh, deserves 30 plus minutes uh, a game on this team, unless they get a starting quality point guard. I love D'Anthony Melton. I think he is a great player and he is going to be a great player. And he is the first second round pick the Suns have hit on, even if it wasn't them themselves drafting him. Uh, but my New Year's resolution for D'Anthony Melton is work on his man on man defense and his court vision. Among um, guards, he's in the 96th percentile for steals. Um, he's really high up with blocks. But, uh, you know, you had mentioned this on a previous episode, Dave, that his um, his help defense is a lot better, and that's where he's getting most of those steals. He, he still mm-hmm. is getting bully-balled by uh, some of the, the bigger point guards and different things. His man-on-man defense isn't great yet. Um, his court vision also, his assist percentage is really low for a point guard. Uh, some of that has to do with how the Suns, offense works but i think he needs to work on his court vision and his man-on-man defense yeah i mean right now um he's kind of profiling the suns played uh against the clippers on friday night and avery bradley has has for his career and marcus smart um uh formerly with uh currently with the celtics and avery bradley formerly with the celtics made their name on being really good defenders who can't score who can't shoot and that's D'Anthony Melton's problem right now. Um, the guy, even when he drives into the hoop, he doesn't know how to make a layup. Uh, he's missed so many in-close shots that it, it makes him not want to take those in-close shots. And he doesn't have the vision to have a good dump off when he gets close to the rim either. So he's going to always have trouble as a lead guard. And that's the same deal with a Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley. That's the kind of guy that he's profiling as right now, which is uh, very valuable for sure. Um, and he's got the length. He's got a six eight wingspan and and six three height, and he's he's built like a little little mini mini truck right now. So I think he's got everything he needs to be a really good all purpose guy in the league. But he's gonna have to figure out how to finish better, or pass better, or shoot better if he wants to be a thirty minutes a night guy, um, who is a top three or four option on a team. But having said that, you're right. I think he's the best second round pick the guys the Suns have had in a while. 
He is 15 of 32 on the season shooting at the rim, uh, 47%, uh, making him one of the worst guards at finishing at the rim in the league. Well, and you can just see it because he doesn't, he just doesn't have the, I don't I know if it's you can body see controller. It. I'm trying to back it up with stats for you. No, I know. I know. I'm saying the stats do match the eye test. <laughs> Kelly We're Oubre. Kelly Oubre. And my New Year's resolution for him is to make yourself a must-have player. He's a restricted free agent this summer, meaning the Suns can match any offer sheet that he gets from opposing teams, but make yourself a player that the Suns will match any um, opposing offer sheet. My New Year's resolution for Kelly Oubre is to remember that he has a right hand. So right now um, I'm developing a nickname for him, uh, call him the Kingslayer. For anybody who's followed Game of Thrones, you know that uh, Jamie Lannister got his right hand cut off, and so he had to figure out how to use his left hand um, throughout that series. Uh, And that's who I see Kelly Oubre as. The guy can dribble. He can he can shoot, but he can only do it with one hand. Uh, he has no idea how to use that right hand. He's got to figure that out. So that's that's my New Year's resolution for him is to not be the Kingslayer. Josh Jackson, this one's a little bit of a mixed bag for me because I, I do think that Josh Jackson has played a lot better recently. So my New Year's resolution for him is to continue, to continue your aggressive play while playing within yourself, and that does mean limiting Shots that aren't good. Uh, Josh Jackson is shooting 56% around the rim, 36% from short mid-range, 34% from long mid-range, all mid-range 35%, the corner three 26%, non-corner three is 26%. His shooting is obviously an issue, uh, whether it's at the rim or not. He does not have a soft touch, and I think we all know that. So for Josh Jackson, it is to continue the style of play that he has played over the last 10 or so games of the season. Absolutely. I think um, uh, that's a good one, Tim. And my New Year's resolution for Josh Jackson is to make some simple plays. The dude spends an entire game trying to make hero play after hero play after hero play. We, we called it on Media Row when, when even when the Suns were going through that big run on, on Friday night um, and getting the lead down from 30 to, to 11. Um, right toward the end there, suddenly Josh Jackson was ramping up his hero ball and he, he every every time he touched the ball, he was trying to make the spectacular happen. And he's just not there yet. So maybe someday he'll become a player who can make spectacular plays all the time throughout a game, but you don't have to do it every single play. So my New Year's resolution for Josh Jackson is to make some simple plays. Yep. Uh, Rashawn Holmes. And this is basically don't do anything differently. The same with Kelly Oubre. You want to make yourself a must-have player for the Suns as we head into the offseason. So do nothing different. (laughs) Yeah. My New Year's resolution for Rashawn Holmes would be the same as yours. Be you. You be you. You do everything you possibly can to continue being that that spark plug off the bench, and you're going to get yourself a nice uh, contract. Uh, What do you think he's going to— get this off season per year. Yeah, that's a that's that's a good question. He does not profile skill set wise as somebody who can be a starter, you know, a top 30 NBA center. So he's always going to be the energy big off um um off yeah, the wait, bench. you don't think he can but be a you, top 30? I'm pretty sure he can be a top 30. I mean, there's only 30 teams in the league. So even No, I know, if, but I don't think he can be a starting center for any any team. Okay. That's what I'm saying. All right. 
because uh, he he really doesn't have the uh, his energy is is what he's really got. And if you put that over 30, 35 minutes a game, he, he's not going to be able to keep it up. Uh, he does have some scoring issues. Uh, I know he had 16 points on Friday night, but he does have he, he does have a round, you know, a, a rounded. He's got a limited set of skills. And the guy I want to compare him to is a Montrez Harrell, because we did just see him on Friday night against the Clippers. Um Montrez Harrell made a name for himself as an energy big off the bench. Um, that dude is also, I don't think he's gotten his free agent money yet, has he? But yeah. I would say a guy like that is, and a guy like Kenneth Fareed, for example, also had the same kind of rep. And he got around $10, $12 million a year when he got his. But then he became suddenly an overpaid player if he wasn't there with the energy. And now he's hardly playing for the Nets, I think, right now he's he's with. Um, so Rashawn Holmes is going to have to make a career for himself as being a Montrez Harrell guy, who's and Harrell's gotten better over his career. Um, and they're going to be around the $10 to $15 million a year. And then they're going to have to spend the rest of their career proving that they're worth that. It's it's funny. We've all seen that Spider-Man uh, meme where one Spider-Man's pointing at another Spider-Man. Yeah, and that's exactly. Whenever I see Montrez Harrell and Rashawn Holmes going at it on the court, it's like the same. Exa- it's just it's so strange. Uh, Jamal Crawford, uh, my New Year's resolution for him is as the season continues, find a way to remain an effective voice on and off the court while seeing your minutes wane as the season continues on to Elliot Kobo and Anthony Melton, which is probably sure to happen. We've seen it recently in the past, a limited amount of minutes for Crawford, which I think is a good thing, especially as the Suns continue to not be in playoff contention. Yeah, um, I would say that uh, my New Year's resolution for Jamal Crawford is to UBU, uh, do the best you can, and if you can find that fountain of youth, go find it. Because uh, if he could roll back the clock a little bit, He'd obviously be a much better player right now. He's really limited uh, on what he can provide, but his voice, his presence in the locker room, his presence on the bench, his presence on the floor, all depend on him having playing time and being in the trenches with those guys on the court. Because otherwise, young guys tune you out. If you're the dude on the end of the bench waving the towel the whole time, and then you're trying to tell them how to play better on the court, they're not going to listen. So Jamal Crawford has to keep earning those minutes on the floor and he's got to he's got to be out playing uh, elia kobo for the rest of the year so for the coaching staff i want to start this off saying that i've seen a lot of strides or we have seen a lot of strides offensively the suns are up to 10th and field goal attempts per game 18th and three-point attempts at the very beginning of the season they were one of the slowest paced teams in the league they're 15th in assists they've seen some marginal improvements in defense their second steals 20th in blocks um, but the Suns do lead the league in personal fouls per game at 24.2. Um, they send opponents to the line 27 times a game while only getting to the line 20 times a game. So my New Year's resolution for the Suns is on the offensive end is to cut down on the amount of mid-range shots they're taking. 33% of their shots are coming from the mid-range, putting them in the bottom four teams in the league as far as the large amount of mid-range shots that they're taking. And on the defensive end, it is to defend without fouling. Opponents are getting to line on 23% of their possessions. Also, the Suns are a bottom five defense in the league at percent of shots at the rim. Opponents are shooting 40% of their shots at the rim. And at the rim, 66% of those shots are going in. It's like a goddamn layup line. <laughs> yeah, I'm, look, I've, I've always been a, a coach supporter. Um, uh, 
in, in my entire career uh, as running, running this blog and writing about the Suns and, and having a credential and all that. So you guys know that my opinion is going to be clouded. I'm always going to try to, because um, I, I just know what it's like to manage other people. You can't do their work for them. Uh, they have to do the work. And Igor has said consistently, players play the game. Coaches can only set them up for success. So uh, Igor has a limited roster to work with. And he's when he plugs one hole, the another one's going to spring open. He said that a few times to us in, in moments of candor. He's like, look, man, there's only so many holes I can fill. Yeah, you want us to play better in the first quarter? I can fix that. I can put our best players out there in the first quarter, but then what happens in the second quarter, in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter? These guys can't keep it up. And if they can't keep it up for all four quarters, then we're not going to win games. Um, so uh, my New Year's resolution for Igor is to uh, keep tweaking, keep trying to find the the best rotations, and then stick with them. I was disappointed he didn't play Mikel Bridges more in the fourth quarter on Friday night. Yeah, Mikel had four fouls, and the moment he came back in, he picked up five and six because um, he is aggressive and he doesn't he doesn't uh, right now know how to defend without fouling too much. So I understand the the plight that Igor is facing with this roster and and not getting consistent minutes and effort and and uh, production from every one of his players because most of them are twenty three or under. I get that. But he's got to do a better job of finding a little bit better combinations off that off that bench and getting guys to produce a little bit better. I thought they I think they've made a lot of progress over this year, um, but they're obviously they're falling back into old habits sometimes, and and he's got to do a better job of of avoiding those old habits. Yeah, that I you know there's some blown coverages that happen and. Uh, I don't mean to harp on uh, pick and roll defense, but the the way that they're deciding to uh, guard pick and rolls with constant trapping, um, it's got to stop. It's well, just... they've tried, but they 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 have tried different ways of defending the pick and roll. And uh, like I said, it's like well, it's, stop it's water coming from all sides. Just, there are none of them are working. Just stop. They've, trapping. they've tried with. What? Just stop trapping. Stop trapping. No, the I get that. But then, but then, what happens is you've got to keep DeAndre Ayton engaged. If DeAndre Ayton is your pick and roll guy, or Rashawn Holmes, for different reasons, okay. But with DeAndre Ayton defending the pick and roll, he's got to be engaged because if you make him make the decision of whether he's going to trap on this player or trap on this this set and uh, uh, drop back to defend the rim on this other one, he's just going to float in the middle. Or I want him dropping him back drop every back. single time. Oh, hold on, hold on. If you're going to tell him to drop back, he's still going to just float in the middle because right now at the moment that starts, both guys are at the three-point line, the big and the guard. So DeAndre Ayton is, part of, is, is a big part of the problem on their pick-and-roll defense. And then with Rashawn Holmes, Rashawn Holmes – um, he's much more decisive, but he's also much more limited on his ability. He should be dropping back and defending the rim um, uh, every time. And he is more effective that way. Rashawn Holmes is better at defending the rim right now, and DeAndre Aiden is not. So it depends on the player. Uh, depends on, but uh, all I guess what I'm trying to say is, yeah, they have not picked, they have not found an effective pick and roll defense for sure for DeAndre Aiden to play in. That was actually when I was talking about the pick and roll defense with the trapping. Even though DeAndre Aiden does that a, a, a lot too, because that seems like their go-to method of uh, defending the pick and roll right now is actually like in my head, I was uh, envisioning Rajon Holmes. So, just whatever they do, just stop trapping. I don't even really care. Just stop trapping every single time. Anyway, moving on. Last one, James Jones, and this one is easy for me, and it's to get a damn point guard if one is available at the trade deadline. A starting 
quality point guard. We get so many tweets, Dave. Uh, The (laughs) recent one we got was on Cameron Payne. There have been other guys that have come up. And it's like, look, the Suns already have backup point guards. We don't need another backup point guard. We even have Devin Booker who can play backup point guard. We do not need another one. We need a starting caliber point guard. So if a starting caliber point guard becomes available, go get him. If a Corey Joseph does, do not. Right, exactly. You can't just you can't just go out there and get a Corey Joseph and think you've solved your problem. What you need is a starting caliber point guard or in this case, you know what? Maybe it's a starting caliber combo two guard, um, like a Bradley Beal from the Wizards. I would be okay with that right now because I've seen enough progress from Devin Booker as a playmaker that I think he can um, handle the ball half the game. He just can't handle it all the game. And Brad Beal is a combo guy who can play, who could play next to him. I would give up just about anything the Suns have except the number one overall pick next year, Devin Booker or DeAndre Aiden. Those are the only three things I would keep right now and uh, maybe hopefully a Mikel Bridges as well but you can't call Mikel Bridges untouchable right now you can't call any of the players besides an Aiden Booker or the number one overall pick for next year I would do a lightly protected first round pick I would do any other player on the roster um, and if it got me a Brad Beal type um, for example so or uh, CJ McCollum or uh, Damian Lillard or someone along that line that can share the backcourt with Devin Booker as a starting quality um, playmaker. And then they wouldn't have to play Jamal Crawford so much. And then they wouldn't have to roll, you know, uh, cross their fingers on starting DeAnthony Melton, who should be really more of a come off the bench energy guy. Um, that would be that would make so uh, so many uh, that would give the Suns so many more answers on a lot of different fronts in the game if they had another guy who could compare to Devin Booker in the backcourt. Of course, that's all easier said than done. Right. Uh, But James Jones has to be able to do that. Speaking of DeAnthony Melton, I feel like, you know, we keep saying we want to see him, uh, you know, more coming off the bench. It's not even that I want to see him more coming off the bench. It's that specifically I want to see him with the bench unit more, even if he starts because there's long stretches of the game where he just doesn't play. And if you want to go see some of the rotations, you can go over to popcorn machine. It'll give you the game by game rotations. And I just think that some of those, uh, second units with, with D'Anthony Melton would be so good. Kelly Oubre, Josh Jackson, D'Anthony Melton. I mean, it's, it would give the second unit a real defensive identity. And I think, but then you're stuck with Josh Jackson being your real playmaker and Josh Jackson plays hero ball all the time. And that makes it really tough. It does. It does. Uh, offensively, they would they would suffer. I, I still I want to see it out there more. I mean, DeAnthony Melton's a, a point guard, so essentially you want him to be able to get some reps playmaking on that. Um, I just I think he would yep. be so good on that second unit. I wish he was used a little bit more there, but I get why why he's not right now. So New Year's resolutions out. Same thing for you with James Jones. Uh, yeah, I would say he's that's what he's got to do is he's got to get a point guard. Right now, he's done a pretty good job. Of, of clearing out bad influences in the locker room. Um, I have heard through um, secondary and tertiary sources about uh, Austin Rivers. So there's there's been a lot of talk that Austin Rivers did not want to come to the Suns because the Suns weren't good enough for him. That actually was, um, uh, from what I've heard, not true at all. Austin Rivers, in the same way that people say Kelly Oubre wanted to come to the Suns to get his, his uh, numbers up for a free agent um, summer, 
Same thing with Austin Rivers. Austin Rivers' camp was actually excited about coming to the Suns because they figured he could play big minutes next to Devin Booker, put up the best stats of his career for the first time ever. He'd be he'd be a guy who could do just about anything he wanted on the court, and then he'd get a big free agent windfall. But it was the Suns who said, no, uh, we know what your reputation is in the locker room. We know what your reputation is on the court, off the court, interacting with people and and getting along with players. And it was the Suns who said, no, thank you. Uh, we'd rather buy you out. So that's what I've heard. And uh, um, I think that makes total sense because I didn't want Austin Rivers in that locker room either. Uh, so I think James Jones has done a good job of of clearing out bad influences from the locker room and the spirit is better around the, around the guys, but he's got to get more NBA players in there. And I think he's, he's definitely got to get that point card. Uh, I know it's not Suns related, but to that note, before we get out of here, man, Jimmy Butler seems like an absolute cancer. Oh my gosh. He's already arguing with Brett Brown about not having a good enough role in the offense. Yes. it's, It's that whole phrase of if, you have a problem with every single roommate you have, you might be the problem. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And the same is kind of true of, of the Austin Rivers kind of thing. You know, if, if, if every team has a problem with Austin Rivers, maybe it's Austin Rivers. Right. <laughs> oh, God damn it. All right. So no Greg Esposito this episode. Not really sure why. Going to throw him under the bus on this one at the end of the episode because... We missed him, and he just didn't show up, assuming he's sleeping in. So we hope you guys give us a five-star review for such a wonderful episode with or without Greg. Yeah, even though we prepped for it with him. So hopefully he'll be back next week. Hopefully he will. You know, if he's not back next week, then there's probably got bigger problems than the Solar Panel Podcast. Yeah, and if you do want to support the Solar Panel Podcast, remember that you can do so. It's a dollar a month. It's really easy. Open up the show notes on the podcast app you're listening to right now at the very bottom of the show notes it says become a supporter on this podcast just click that link it's so easy we love you forever we love you if you, you want to hear greg more you probably need to pay him some money to come on here because that's probably what he's doing is he's figuring out other ways to make money uh so if you want if you want to hear us indefinitely uh then uh getting us a couple of a couple of bucks so we can go buy a taco once a month is is going to be very helpful for us yeah yeah all right dave well i will see you next uh next week and uh happy 2019 to you happy 2019 to you tim what is your personal wait before we hang up are we still going tim sure all right what is your personal new year's resolution for 2019 what's your biggest one no more death i've had a lot of death this year in my life and i think it would be great that was it that was that was heavy that's uh, true. I've had a lot of death uh, this year. I, I seem to have years to of of uh, lots of death, and and not a lot of years. This is only the second one, but I'm hoping that nobody around me dies this year. How about you? Wow, I'm not sure if I can top that one. I guess you know what? Uh, uh, I guess I didn't do the lawyer thing where I knew the answer before I asked the question. <laughs> I am really sorry you've had to deal with a lot of that, Greg. Um, I have had a lot of, um, I have had a lot of death, but only in the older generation where it was kind of, it was going to happen. Right. Um, cause I am getting to that age where I'm only one or two generations away from a lot of people dying. Uh, so I get what you're saying on there. I would love to have, I would love to have a drama free year. Um, this past year I went through a divorce and I dealt with all that while I was doing all my other things. And I would like 2019 to be drama free. Um, 
And I think that that that's a good resolution to have. Um, not as important as yours. I hope you don't have any death in your life either, Tim. Well, just stay stay away from dating, and I'm sure the the drama will subside. Just go home after work. The drama's done. No, that's boring, man. Uh, no, it's boring, is but fun. there's no drama. Dating is fun. No, <laughs> the drama I mean is the is the too heavy. Dating is great as long as it doesn't get too serious. All right, man. And on that note, we'll see you guys next week. You just got done listening to The Solar Panel. For more Great Suns content, check out the Timeline podcast for stuff like this. There's no way that Hakeem Olajuwon makes his own pancakes. <laughs> I'm really sorry that you just made a great coherent point and that's all I had to respond with, but it, all it did was lead me to look up the fact that Hakeem Olajuwon made $110 million in his NBA career and God knows how much since then. He easily has someone at his ranch to make his pancakes, right? That's The Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.